Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're ready to study the Bible with you for the next 30 minutes, and hopefully we'll get to one of your questions today. But if you're a first-time viewer, you get to ask questions if you'd like to on this program. Uh, That's the way we operate. We want you to know your Bible. And we found it a lot more helpful just to ask you what you'd like to know instead of us telling you what we think we think you ought to know. So you'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can get in touch with us anytime. Tell us what you'd like us to discuss on this program. And that's what we'll do for 30 minutes each week. So give us a call or log on and you direct the program. Um, I'm Steve Tandy, and I'll try to answer some of your questions, and my partner, Toby Levering, will answer all the hard ones. Good morning, Toby. No, I don't know about that, but good morning. <laughs> good morning. Uh, <laughs> glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. Viewers uh, give us some good ones every week, and we got plenty to get through today, but we always start with one for our viewers. See if you know a little bit of Bible. This one's a multiple-choice question. Uh, The book of Amos, there's a theme all through the book of Amos. Is it grace, love, justice, or forgiveness? You might want to write those down to think about them, but uh, we'll pick one of those at the end of the program. See what the theme of the book of Amos is. Grace, love, justice, or forgiveness. Glad you're with us and ready to go. And Toby's got question number one, so... uh, Smoking and drinking, huh? Smoking and drinking is the question. (laughs) Are smoking and drinking sins? Well, if you're looking for me to point to a specific Bible verse, I can't do it. I can't point to uh, specifically, certainly with smoking. Now, the Bible does address drinking, and it does more specifically say that getting drunk is a sin. Uh, people then ask the question, well, what about drinking if I don't get drunk? And to me, that's always kind of pushing the line, you know. Let's see how far, how close to the line I can get uh, before it's technically a sin. Um, I think both of these, uh, we have to use a little bit of discernment. Uh, since we can't find Bible verses, this, you know, thou shalt not smoke or thou shalt not drink, uh, we got to look, okay, well, is it wise? God gave us one body. Paul refers to it as a tent, which gives us this idea, one, it's temporary, and two, it's not meant to last. It naturally wears out. So smoking and drinking, does that help <laughs> your body? Is it uh, good stewardship of the one body that he gave you? Uh, I think there's plenty of evidence that neither of those things help. Uh, really, uh, the uh, second thing, second consideration, is you got to consider your example and your influence. If you're a follower of Christ, you're trying to live your ri- life in a righteous way. Uh, even 
non-Christian people, very worldly people, kind of have this, I don't know where it comes from, this basic idea, uh, boy, that guy's the most righteous guy I ever know. He doesn't smoke or drink or cuss or nothing. You know, we kind of have this idea that, I mean, that's kind of associated with sin. Now, again, we can't point to a verse, but it's associated with righteous living, and that's part of our example and our influence. You might not technically be able to find a Bible verse, but if we started the Bible program you know, with a can of Bud Light for me and Steve and a, each <laughs> smoke in a pack, you might think, you might associate these guys are hypocrites. Well, why do you think that? And we just have kind of an association with smoking and drinking and other sinful things. Well, that's example. That's influence. We have to think about that. Steve and I have to think about that. Uh, but you have to think about that as well. So if you're a Christian, those are some issues to think about. You've got to think about taking care of your body. And you've got to think about taking, being a good steward of your influence and your example. You're a follower of Jesus. Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. Well, you think Jesus would be smoking and drinking? I don't view it that way. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. <clears throat> Paul says, and he's not speaking about smoking and drinking here, but the principle still applies. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Uh, I think that if I can take one verse that maybe addresses those pretty well. One, is it helpful? Is it helping you physically? Is it helping your example? Is it helping you in your influence? And number two, uh, could it dominate you? Could it get you addicted? Could it master you in some way? If it, if it could, it could be a problem. So be careful with it. Hope that helps you. <laughs> All righty. I can't get over that picture for some reason. <laughs> Somebody might complain about yeah, that. Yeah, we might get a little bit of email about that. We got a complaint. We got a complaint the other day about the the suit that I had on. I didn't, I didn't like the tan coat, so that's why I wore it again today. But uh, <laughs> so I'm sure we'd get some hate mail about that one. All right, let's get into something else here. What's the difference between the Old Testament? And the Torah, the Old Testament and the Torah. Well, while we're sitting here listening to Toby's <laughs> great idea, I decided to look it up and not look it up, but show you. Uh, okay, let me hold this up here. This is the Old Testament part of the Bible, and this is the Torah. This part is the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament is the technical definition of it. Uh, Torah can be translated law, so those are the books of law. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, written by Moses, are technically the Torah. Now, it can also be thought of as a set of instructions or a set of teaching. So in that sense, uh, everything that God says uh, is his teaching, his set of instructions, and sometimes uh, Jewish people talk about that as God's instruction is Torah. Uh, for instance, if you start in Proverbs, one of the first things it says is, listen, my son, to your father's teaching. All right, the word there is Torah. Uh, listen, my son, to your father's set of instructions, your father's teachings, and listen to your mother's 
Torah, her set of instructions, her set of teaching. So uh, Torah can be used in two different ways, as I understand it, from reading some Jewish websites. But technically, the Torah is the first five books. That's the law given by Moses and the, the, the books there that describe all of that. And then all of the Bible, in fact, for that matter, uh, if we use the term in that way, uh, the New Testament is Torah. It's God's teachings. It's his set of instructions. But I think nine times out of ten, if you ask a, a person of the Jewish faith, what's the Torah? They'd say, well, it's the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the first five. So that's the difference between the Torah and the Old Testament. All right, a translation question. Uh, the question is, what translation of the Bible do you use on the program? And I will say most often for myself, uh, I use the English Standard Version. Uh, that's the one I probably gravitate to the most. Uh, we also use New American Standard. Sometimes we use uh, the NIV translation, the, the earlier one, the 1984 one, uh, the newer one not so much. But... Uh, um, those are kind of the basic ones we use, and the reason for that is that along translations, there's a lot of different translations. Along translations, uh, there's kind of this idea of it's, think of it like a spectrum. At one end is accuracy, and the other end is readability or uh, understand uh, the ability to understand it uh, to a mass audience. And so we've got to find a translation that's as accurate as possible while being generally. Uh, readable and understandable by most and that's what we what we try to do we're not against other translations we we generally want to veer toward the most accurate so we can cut it straight as they say there's a little bit of variance with the english translations of course as you would expect um, but most of those differences are not insurmountable or don't create doctrinal problems. But for, uh, for us these days, most of the time, it's uh, the English Standard Version works pretty good. And Steve might want to chime in if he has uh, uh, other ones that he likes. But that's, that's kind of what, we, uh, are, what I'm using yeah, these days. I think those are the main ones. And uh, actually, we've got another question coming later if we get to it about the King James and the New King James. So we'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more there. But any of those are good. I'll, I'll just say that one thing. If you're just starting, if you, you don't know anything about the Bible and just want to read, uh, get one that you can read in your level of reading ability. There's very simple ones and there's more complex ones. English Standard Version is kind of right in the middle. It's a real good one. Uh, but just read. And once you get a little more grounded and all that, uh, you can start worrying about which is the most doctrinally accurate and all that. But uh, if you want the story of the Bible, just about any of them will get you started on that. So read the Bible and uh, we'll help you pick the right one later <laughs> once you get once you get grounded a little bit speaking of studying the bible let me talk just a moment about some ways to do that uh, you can certainly pick up the bible and start reading at the torah and go through genesis leviticus numbers deuteronomy uh, and right on through if you're tough and can stick with it a lot of people try that uh, and they get a little bogged down there about leviticus or somewhere it gets a little hard to you know, keep tuned in so 
There are other ways to tackle studying the Bible, and we've tried to find some of the best that we know of, and we've got some tools picked out that we think are good ways to study the Bible. Here's the first one. This is a set of lessons. There's eight of them. It's just a good basic Bible study, not tied to any church or denomination. It just helps you study the Bible. We've got other courses that are more advanced, uh, a little more detailed about some special topic. So... Uh, all of them are great ways to study the Bible, and we provide those absolutely free of charge if you want to participate. We know a lot of people want to do things online these days, so we've added that. OneWay.WorldBibleSchool.org, good place to go. Log on there, give them a little bit of information, and you'll start getting some online courses that you can study anytime, any place you want. So uh, all of those are excellent tools to help you know more about your Bible. All of them are absolutely free, no charge to you in any way. Uh, if you opt for the mail-in questions or courses, we even pay the postage for you. So uh, if you want to study the Bible, we've got some ways to help you. Give us a call or log on. Phone number and website on the screen, oneway.worldbibleschool.org for the uh, online courses, and we'll get you started. All right, looks like mine's the next one, and the viewer wants to get a multiple-choice question here for me. Which comes first, being saved or being baptized? Well... Uh, let me say this first. We get a lot of questions about baptism. In fact, somebody uh, emailed us the other day and said we talk too much about baptism. And I understand what they're saying. That, uh, they maybe know all about it and don't want to hear about it anymore. But uh, we do talk about baptism a lot because we get a lot of questions. This program is question-driven. Uh, we don't have an agenda. We just answer what people want to know about. That, I mean, we proved that the other week. Somebody wanted to know about how Noah knew the difference between boy and girl crocodiles. So <laughs> we answer whatever we get. But we get a lot of questions about baptism. And that's because there's a lot of confusion in the world about baptism. There are a lot of different teachings at different uh, religious groups about the importance of baptism, the meaning of baptism, the mode of baptism, the candidates for baptism. People are all over the place uh, about baptism. So that's one reason we get a lot of questions about it. And this viewer says, which comes first, uh, being saved or being baptized? Now, the reason for that question is there are people out there in the religious world that teach uh, if you believe uh, and then if you ask God <clears throat> ask Jesus to come into your heart or if you believe and then pray that you can become a, a Christian that then you're saved and then sometime later when you get around to it or whenever it's convenient or at least sometime you ought to be baptized it's a good idea uh, some people teach that it, you do that and then you need to be baptized to become a member of a specific church. Uh, so there's a lot of different teaching out there. So our viewers say, well, which comes first, being saved or being baptized? And my answer to that is neither come first. Because instead of looking at what people teach, let's go to the Bible and think about it. And the Bible says it's simultaneous. Being saved happens at baptism. 
Baptism isn't what saves you. It's when you're saved. So the answer for me is that it's simultaneous. And let's look at a couple of verses and we'll be done. Acts 22 and 16. Paul had uh, done all sorts of things. He had repented. He had confessed. He had prayed. He had fasted. He had listened to the preacher. He had called Jesus Lord. He had done a lot of things, but he still had a sin problem. And he wasn't saved yet because when the preacher came to him after he talked to him about Jesus, he said, now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. When does washing your sins away happen? Well, Ananias seemed to think it was at baptism. So he told Paul, you get baptized and your sins will be washed away. Let's look at one more verse, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Paul was writing to Christians, the church at Rome, and he said, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Don't you know that? Okay. How do you get into Christ Jesus? Well, some people say you get into Christ Jesus by asking him into your heart or praying for him to come into your heart. How do you get connected to his death? Well, you pray about it or ask him. That's not what Paul thought. Paul thought you get baptized into Christ Jesus. It happens simultaneously. I think that's the best explanation of it. Uh, and that's why we turn to the Bible for our answers instead of what people say or what other churches say. Uh, neither one comes first. Simultaneous. Baptism is when we're saved. All right, a question about a phrase someone's heard. Where does the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? And the Bible doesn't say that. Not in one place does it say that. Um, kind of funny about some of those things that we hear. You think, well, I know I've heard that. It's got to be in the Bible somewhere. Um, but that's why we encourage you to read and to study your Bible on this program so that you get to know it better. Uh, it's important to know what it says and uh, what it doesn't say. Now, the principle, God helps those who helps themselves. The principle is that uh, God's not a magical genie. You just kind of tell him what you want and he dumps it into your lap. Uh, if you want something from the Lord, he will make a way, but you got to uh, get after it in some way. And this can apply to, you know... Um, starting a career, it can apply to pursuing a goal, uh, finding a, uh, someone to marry. Uh, these are all things that uh, could apply in that principle of God helps those who help themselves. I like the way one person said it, I'm not sure who to attribute it to, so my apologies, but he said, uh, God feeds the birds of the air, but he does not drop worms into the nest. Yeah, that's kind of the same idea. Uh, God does take care of us, but we have a part to play in it too. So, uh, what are the scriptures that kind of speak to this idea? Well, we can look at a couple of those. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Okay. This, this principle is just... Whatever you're doing, if you're a computer programmer, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a CEO, if you play professional sports, whatever you do, work at it hard. Bring excellence to it, especially if you're a Christian because you're not working for your boss, you're working for the Lord. 
And so honor him in what you do and work hard at it. All right, that's good. Uh, let's look at the second principle from Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, For even when we were with you, we would give this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Yeah. Paul was not uh, very compassionate there, was he? He was saying, hey, we, were, we followed this rule while we were with you. We had to earn our keep. So if any among, among the, the, the church at Thessalonica is not willing to work, you know, let that guy have a little hunger pain and he'll probably get to work. All right. So the, the, the couple of examples, one, working glorifies God and, and we should be involved in the, whatever is involved in glorifying God. And the second is that working blesses us. Working provides us, provides our basic needs. Now, is that all on us? No. I mean, God gives us the means to earn wealth and to provide for our families and to bless ourselves. Um, but we have to decide we're going to work at it. So there's a couple of scriptures that will help you, but the actual phrase, God helps those who help themselves, not in the scripture. That helps you. All righty. Wonder about people dying. Can they speak to people who have already passed on? Okay, so someone on their deathbed, can they speak to or see somebody who's already dead? Uh, there's no biblical statement about that. Uh, the story of rich man and the beggar. Uh, the rich man, once he was dead, he wanted to talk to his relatives left on earth, and he couldn't. He wasn't allowed to. Uh, but that's not exactly what our viewer asked. Uh, can a dying person see something of the next world and talk to people? I don't know. I don't think so. But it really doesn't matter. Uh, number one, I can't prove it. Uh, anybody that has a near-death experience uh, may think they saw something like that. They may have, for all I know. They may have visited with somebody. I don't know. Uh, we don't know enough about the mind and the way it works, whether that was just a memory or a real vision. or We can't prove it. Uh, if it happens when I'm dying, that'll be fine with me. But I don't know if it happens, and I don't think it happens. But the main point I want to make on this is uh, even if it did happen, we shouldn't pursue that kind of thing. Uh, it's kind of interesting to talk about, but we shouldn't try to communicate with the dead. Let's look at an Old Testament verse, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 to 12. Here's some bad things that God said to stay away from. Not no one found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. So the land of the living and the land of the dead are separated. We should not try to contact uh, the land of the dead, even if we could. So uh, maybe that helps us not worry about it quite as much. We take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, this program is supported by Churches of Christ, and we thank a lot of them. And we like to mention a few each week. Today, let me mention a two and a couple in Central Kansas. Uh, Sylvia Congregation, small town, small church, but a great bunch of folks. And the Isabel Church of Christ, same condition, but uh, they believe in teaching the God's Word. And uh, if you're looking for a church home and you're close to one of those communities, uh, you'd find a great grunt 
group of folks there that uh, think and study about the Bible a lot like we do here on Know Your Bible. So give them a visit or whatever broadcast area you're in. Visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Toby, what's your view after? A fairly simple question. It is, what does God look like? Hold on just a second. Let me sketch it out here. No, uh, being a little facetious, the uh, we do not know what God looks like. In fact, kind of the idea is God doesn't look like anything because uh, we're physical beings. He's a spiritual being. Uh, let's look at First John chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, Apostle says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. No one's ever seen God and we can't view Him with our physical eyes. In the book of John, not First John, but the Gospel of John, first, uh, John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, God is spirit. Okay, so God doesn't have eye color, skin color, he's not height, weight, doesn't have those physical dimensions to him. And so when we think of God, we understand he's spirit, not flesh. So the answer is uh, no one knows uh, what God looks like because God doesn't look like anything. Hope that helps you. Okay, another question about Bible translation. Viewer said, I have trouble following the King James Bible. I heard you mention the New King James. Is it easier to read, and does it stay true to the original meaning? Okay, first of all, let's talk about the King James. The reason you have a little trouble following that is because it was translated in 1611. And so it's written in the language that they talked in 1611, and they spoke a little differently than we do today. So you get that old language, we call it archaic, it's out of date, uh, there are some words, uh, these and thous and hasts and all of that, uh, just not the way we talk. But on top of that, there's some phrases, some uh, words that we don't even know what they mean anymore. I mean, we can look them up, but we don't use them in that sense anymore. So that's why you're having a little trouble following sometimes the King James. Yes, the new King James uh, cleaned out or changed a lot of the these and thous to use and yours and uh, it's easier to read and a little little better to read so yeah you will have a little better luck with the new king james here's an example uh two passages same passage from the king james and new king james i think it illustrates it well first uh, john three seventeen. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Okay, that's a little tricky to read, but the bowels of compassion are not in my vocabulary these days. Uh, but if I look at the New King James, it says, Whoever has this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Okay, I can understand that better. I know what closing off my heart to someone is. Uh, I don't have any compassion for them. Uh, that makes a little more sense. So you can see how they change some of the language and some of the terms that are a little bit hard for us to understand. So, yes, New King James is a little easier to read in today's English than the old King James. All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. We're talking about the book of Amos and what the theme of it was. I gave you four options, grace, love, justice, or forgiveness. And if you read the book of Amos, you will see over and over uh, the theme of justice. 
Yeah, in Amos 6.12 is a famous verse. You can look that up, and it specifically says that's what God wants. He wants justice. So Amos 6.12 is a great book to read about the concept of justice here on earth and what God wants. Glad you've been with us this week, and uh, we hope we got to your question, or hopefully we found some interesting ones for you to listen to. Uh, we've got more coming up next week, and we'll answer them just as fast as we can, but uh, we won't tackle that till next week. We're glad you've been with us this week, and uh, until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.